welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, I'm at uh, Jerusalem Farm, and um, I'm talking right now with uh, Jordan and Jesse. And as a way of introducing them, I'll just, um, oh, and, and Sonny's joining us. Um, as a way of introducing um, Jordan, Jesse, and Sonny, uh, I'll talk a little bit about when I first came here. Um, it's been a few years ago. Did we ever, ever figure out what year that was? I think it was 2016. 2016? Okay. Now it's 2019. Um, I was coming to Kansas City for a um, photography conference, and it was my first experience with couch surfing. And um, so I got into town, and I was just doing a few things, the, you know, checking some things out before coming over to the house. And, um, and then when I arrived, um, Jordan answered the door and he invited me in and, um, I came right on in and, and I realized he didn't know who I was or what I was there for. Um, and I said, I was there for couch surfing. And, um, then he invited me in to, um, meet everyone. And, uh, fellow got up and came over and gave me a big hug and it was sunny (laughs) nice and then everyone else um just welcomed me with the same warmness and then we went outside and um did a little slack lining in the front yard (laughs) (laughs) it was a special experience for me because um i was in a strange city and uh didn't know a person and just was received with such warmth and love and so I've recounted that story to people multiple times uh, whenever I would talk, want to talk to someone about um, when have you experienced love in such a way that it made an impact on you? And um, that's like one of my examples. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that I wanted to spend more time with you all that weekend than I did at the photography conference <laughs> that I came to. But um, so anyway, here we are again, um, just visiting again. Um, and um, I guess as a way to get started, just um, Jordan and Jesse, um, tell us a little bit about um, Jerusalem Farm. Just give us a summary about you know what it's like, and, and Sunny, just uh, jump into mm-hmm. as we'd like to. So um, I always like to say Jerusalem Farms like barn raising and apple pie. (laughs) Um, So a lot of people, when they hear that we're a farm in Missouri, think that we have a bunch of acres and grow a lot of food. Um, And while we do grow a decent amount of food in our large gardens, um, we are not a farm in the traditional sense. We are a farm that we like to celebrate farm lifestyle. And first of all, we're an intentional community. There is currently seven adults and five children that live at the farm. And we live by four cornerstones, prayer, community, service, and simplicity. And um, we host retreats mostly geared towards high school and college students. And they come for a week and are immersed in those four cornerstones as well as Catholic social teaching. Um, We are a farm that's rooted in Catholic tradition. Not everyone who lives here is Catholic and not everyone who visits us is Catholic. Um, But that's um, where our roots come from and where... um, 
the teachings that we draw from as well. And with the students that come, and as a community, we do home repair for low-income and elderly in the Northeast um, neighborhoods of Kansas City. And we have some other things that we do. We like composting a lot. We run a curbside composting program and work at a, the community garden and have an orchard. It's sort of what we're up to. Okay. Well, you, you mentioned the four cornerstones. Um so um, prayer, community, service, and simplicity. Like, what does prayer look like in your community, practicing prayer? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we, um, we try to say that prayer is a recognition of God's presence in our lives. And so, on the broader sense, we're trying to cultivate an attitude where um, our days are can be one long prayer so the work that we're doing the relationships the ways that we're interacting with people are all a recognition of god's presence in our life and trying to extend that love to one another um more logistically we have set times in the day where we gather for prayer so when it's an ordinary time with just us we gather in the morning for prayer um at 8 30 and um it's usually about a half hour period of it could look many different ways um so we might be reading uh, a passage from one of the Gospels or another passage in the Bible and then reading it perhaps three times uh, to ourselves in Lectio Divina style of listening and then um, maybe sharing anything that comes to us from listening. Um, it might be song. It might be some form of art. It might be wandering in creation outside. Um contemplating God's work. Um, So depending on who's leading it, it could look many different ways. Um, But yeah, prayer is uh, just for us that reminder of who we are and why we do what we do and of um, the abundance around us and the life and the love that's all around us. Um, Okay. So um, the prayer that I'm um, familiar with Mm -hmm. is kind of like um, addressing God, um, like sometimes with Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and then sometimes with um, request, you know, based on um, mm-hmm. our, our needs. So is it, does it look like that sometimes too? I would say both those aspects are typically in our um, like organized moments of prayer as well. So usually there is a time where we are sharing what we're thankful for. In fact, on, um, Thursdays we have a cross what we call a shared prayer cross and we pass that around and we share a way that we experience God um, present in our life throughout that week and so usually those are moments that we're thankful for um, an experience or an individual or whatever it may be that's usually a time where we're all intentionally every Thursday morning sharing something we're thankful for in the way that God has been present to us Um, and then Also, usually in our prayer, towards the end of it, perhaps we might have prayer intentions that we call them for ourselves. So maybe this day in particular, I'm praying for extra patience or whatever it may be. Um, Or we'll share prayer intentions for others. So if I have a friend or family member that's going through some sort of struggle, we will name that individual out loud to one another. And um, So yeah, I would say both the Thanksgiving and the prayer requests are typically built into 
what we're doing. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. I'd just like to say, I had, as a non-Catholic, I had a hard time understanding what this prayer time was because I had that same idea of prayer, that prayer is just a time that I quietly speak to God and, and spend that time with God. But um, living here and at Nazareth Farm where we lived before this, help me understand what what they mean by <laughs> by prayer time together. And I would compare it more to maybe what uh, Protestants would call devotions okay. or, um, or something like that, or like a prayer activity almost. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wife well, um, kind of have realized lately that prayer does look kind of differently among different traditions. Um, we I started like a little group down the street. Um, it was going to be a group of four. That was the intention, but it, it ended up it's just a group of three. And there's one um, Lutheran fella, and there's one um, Roman Catholic person, and there's me, you know, Protestant, Baptist. And... Uh, so we're going through this book called Discipleship Essentials, and then at the end, um, we're you know supposed to spend some time to prayer. So there's these little groups throughout all St. Louis, and the idea is you spend, it, it takes about two years to go through the book, and, um, and then you break up, and each of the people find three other people, and you, make, you multiply your groups that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we... Uh, got to, you know, started praying together, and we got to um, the end, um, it's like, I'm just used to, like, sharing my prayer requests, you know, this is going on in my life, this is going on in my life, you know, mm-hmm. and I thought we would all take turns praying and stuff like that, and um, the person who's a Catholic, um, his prayer, you know, he'd pull out a prayer book or something, and he would read, you know, mm. the, the prayer, and um, and then as we were going along, um he uh, kind of expressed uh, his, uh, you know, that he was not really comfortable sharing prayer requests out loud. Mm. And he liked more of a formalized type of prayer. And um, rather than just speaking these things out loud. And and during that, as he was doing that, um, he kind of explained a little bit about his own life and what he was going through in his life, uh, which was just really a big struggle. And he he spent the whole hour just sharing uh, what he and his wife had gone through throughout the years, which was a pretty dramatic thing. But it was his way of saying kind of like, this is why I don't want to share, you know, because there's all of this type Mm. of stuff and I don't want to bring it up, I guess is what he's saying. Mm. So we're still trying to figure that out. Like, well, how do we pray together? Um, Right now, we're just not bringing up those personal things. We're just Mm. having a little bit more of a structured, formalized type of prayer but it's kind of hard to figure things out with other people who are used to doing things differently sometimes you know that probably is a common experience when it comes to catholics that are used to structured either memorize or you're reading from a prayer card or liturgy of the hours is a lot of you know reading on the psalms um but recently we went on a retreat with my um diaconate group and we had a priest and the topic for that retreat was prayer and he he explained to us that um if you think of a lunch buffet or you know the most grand dinner buffet and you have all these different sections of like the salad bar and even within the salad bar you have tons of options and varieties of you know foods to get and then you got your desserts and entrees and whatever 
he was saying that that is really like prayer or the life of prayer. And what he was saying was that Catholics barely leave the salad bar um, is kind of what he was expressing. And that would be maybe, you know, saying the Lord's Prayer or saying a Hail Mary or some of those more structured prayers. Um, but then the rest of the retreat, we went into the, what is the rest of that broad array of, um, you know, prayer buffet that we could experience. And so, um, so yeah, I think there's, I think that's a common experience among Catholics probably um, of being kind of stuck in that type of prayer, but it's not the fullness, I guess, of our mm-hmm. faith or understanding of prayer. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, um, like the English word prayer means like to request something, I think. Mm-hmm. But um, it sounds like your idea of prayer is a little more broader than that, like experiencing God's presence and so forth. There's a quote from a priest, Richard Rohr. Um, he's a Franciscan priest. And he says, the purpose of prayer isn't to get anywhere because we can't really attain anything. Everything is already in fullness through God. And so the purpose of prayer is just to recognize God's presence that is already here in our world. And um, I, th- I think that's kind of interesting to contemplate and to think about that. I mean, God, we see, you know, God already knows what we need. He knows um, God knows us fully inside and out. And, um, and also, you know, the whole created world and, and time that was and time that will be, you know, for God is just all in one. And so just thinking about, I think, sitting in that and realizing that, um, still, you know, it helps us to realize what we need, I guess, if that makes sense. And so your, your prayer is just, is just trying to become aware of that presence of God in our lives and mm-hmm. of our, and I guess of our own needs through that. But mm-hmm. I don't, yeah, I don't typically think of it as a time where I need to sit down and if I don't, I've heard some people say, like, I have to make sure I pray for everyone because if I don't, then, you know, don't want to forget anyone which I think uh, part of how we build our retreat weeks is the first one of the well the first prayer we lead with volunteers is around the cornerstones Um, and uh, and just to help develop and reflect our lives on those cornerstones and the second one the next morning is about God and all things and so I think again that's expanding on maybe from that request-based idea into the omnipresence of God all around us at all, all moments. Um, and kind of that reminder, what, how would we carry ourselves through a day if we truly were seeking to see all of our prayers or all of our actions as prayer? Um, and I also like to think of Reverend Barber, one of the co-leaders of the New Poor People's Campaign. Uh, he talks about proper prayer leading to proper action and vice versa, proper action leading to proper prayer. And so our prayers are, we're putting out intentions as guides for our days, as well as our actions are guides for our prayers. Where are we plugging in our actions? And if I'm truly living my life alongside poor and vulnerable people in hard situations, then where will that guide my prayer to be? Rather than if I was living a more secluded, self-fulfilling life, my prayers would probably be more oriented towards self. Um, And so really enjoy viewing prayers that omnipresence throughout the day and as a guide through our, to our actions. Well, prayer is the first pillar, and then there's also community, service, and simplicity. Um, anything else uh, <laughs> to say about the, the other three pillars that comes to mind? 
like simplicity. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Um, it it has to do with like um, resources and environment. Is that right? Um, simplicity or that's a big part of it. Okay. I think um, for me, simplicity is just putting right relationship of things in order and so people become be before material goods and so just evaluating our lives and how much realizing how much we put goods before people um and so um for instance a simple thing we talk about volunteers is like we don't have a tv in our living room and so you can spend a whole lot of time in front of a tv or in front of a phone or whatever it may be um, that your um, that time is not being spent with family, friends, neighbors, um, and so, and then also this idea this from Father John Kavanaugh. He's a Jesuit priest. He talks about how when we get so inundated with goods and material goods, particularly in a wealthier society like ours, um, we begin to think that we don't have a need for God. Um, because we could either purchase or create with our technologies, our abilities, whatever we need. Um, and so you can get caught into that false sense of like we are our own gods. And so with simplicity, kind of once again, putting that into right perspective of um, yeah, our relationship with goods and with God. And um, so, yeah, so with us, it's almost we have kind of what we call um, voluntary simplicity or poverty or downward mobilization those are all ways that people explain it but not trying to maximize the goods or the resources or even the ability to gather those resources for ourselves but rather trying to limit how much we use and then to give of our excess to others um, that are in need so that's kind of the broad idea of simplicity i don't know if you have anything to add we sometimes would read a reflection from St. Francis that talks about that simplicity isn't a bare and spare existence that dehumanizes us, but it actually rehumanizes us. And it, I like to see it as peeling away those layers that insulate us. Even something as simple as having phones that direct us everywhere in our communities, we don't need to talk to someone on the corner, and we don't need to ask our neighbor how to get somewhere. And another author, Shane Claiborne, talks about in a book, People always ask about, like, in Scripture, like, well, what happened to miracles? Like, we don't have miracles anymore. You know, like we read about in Scripture that Jesus performed. And he kind of just talks about how we don't leave room for miracles anymore. As Jordan put, we, we really like to be man-made and, man like, self-sufficient within ourselves. And so peeling away those layers of comfort and security create a, allows us to be more vulnerable with one another in a space, even including not having your cell phone at hand's reach for that dull moment in a room, that creates just a bit of space of vulnerability where who knows what connection can happen in that. Asking someone out of the shop that you're at how to get somewhere, who knows what conversation you would strike up and connection you could make um, and where that may take you elsewhere in your day. And so um, simplicity, as Jordan put, um, yeah, people over possessions and that just bringing us closer together and realizing we need each other in this world. We really do need each other. Um, and the more separate we think we are, the more separate we'll be. Um, 
You know, your mission statement says the Jerusalem Farm is guided by the gospel message and Catholic social teaching. Um, so like the gospel message, um, like I kind of see that as a couple of different things from just a Bible standpoint. Like it seems like when Jesus went to proclaim the gospel, it's like the, the gospel or the good news of the kingdom of God and the parables that were about the kingdom of God, you know, and and then when Paul speaks about the gospel, um, it seems like he's kind of narrowing down in the uh, crucifixion of Jesus and then his resurrection. And then um, sometimes um, when I hear like Roman Catholics speak about the gospel, it seems like they're talking about well the writings like Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you know. Mm. So um, when you're... Um, and it's not like those are all three separate things, you know, mm-hmm. but like, um, how would you put the gospel message in a nutshell or, or do you, or do you have any thoughts about just what the gospel is? And from Jordan's right across from me. So I just naturally look to him, but you guys just feel free to chime in too, as, as much as you want to. I'm the quickest thinker too. So <laughs> I, I, that's how I, uh, gather my thoughts is out loud. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I mean, I guess all of those, I, so the gospel message being the good news and then asking, well, what is the good news? And um, definitely with St. Paul looking at, you know, the death and resurrection of Christ. And I think that, um, that really, and, the, and then the, the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are, are about the life of Christ and so we we have Jesus as both, um, you know, teacher and Messiah, someone that we can learn about his life and begin to, um, yeah, pray and, and try to follow maybe literally in his steps in, in the ways that he approached the people in his society around him that day. But then also we have that um, ultimate reality that um, Jesus... Um, took his path of God's fullness of love all the way to death and through that encountered all the worst of humanity, um, you know, that crucified him on the cross and tortured him beforehand. And, um, you know, that, that just culminated into like the worst that we can do to one another as humans. And so in that kind of like taking all of our sins, um, enduring them, and then from that rising from the dead. And so really that, um, resurrection empowers all of us to recognize God's love and mercy for us and also empowers us to not have fear in confronting our own sins and the sins, you know, of the society around us. Um, and so, for instance, um, when I talk about um, our call as Christians to nonviolence in this world, you know, you instantly get lots of pushback of like, well, you know, what if, you know, someone comes in at you with a gun or, you know, there's all sorts of fears that people have about um, really loss of life of their own life and of their um, family and loved ones' lives. And and um, I think it's interesting because I get it and no one wants to die, but at the same time, all of Christ's disciples, or at least early on, like there were many martyrs and Christ died himself. And so in that same light, Jesus is saying, 
if you follow me, it may lead to your death in this world, but it's okay because there's a life much greater beyond this, this everlasting life. And really the love that we're striving to live by in this world is beyond, you know, our physical existence in this world, um, if that makes sense. And so thinking about gaining courage from that to think more creative, think more creatively of how we can approach situations and individuals with compassion, with love, um, with mercy, and, and um, you know, love endures all things, loves, hopes all things, and believes all things. And so part of that, like people think about that when they get married, that's like a common passage, you know, First mm-hmm. Corinthians 13, that's read. But if you, I like to meditate on that passage in thinking about my enemies, or if enemy is too strong for some people, just thinking about people that you don't get along with, or that you're fearful of, or thinking about folks in our community that struggle with addictions. Like, what does it look like to endure all things, to hope all things, to believe all things? When a stranger's coming up to me and telling me a story, am I putting myself in a vulnerable position to believe them? And then am I ready to endure? whatever hardship may happen if I bring a stranger into my house um, in the hopes of like housing them for the night, you know? And so I think for us, I use the gospel message as encouragement to take those risks and to step out into loving others um, as I would, um, as I hear that Christ does in the gospels. So I guess that's my thought of the good news. Okay. So anything to add? Well, he didn't say radical love, so I assume Sonny wanted to chime in on radical love. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, he spoke to it, though, that mm-hmm. the idea of that Jesus came with such radical love that he fully gave of himself, fully gave of his life. And so, um, yeah, what does that look like today? And I think in our culture today, we can think of what does giving of your life look like culturally, not just physically, not of your physical body, but culturally. And so, um, you know, choosing to live... Um, on a lower income and uh, being judged possibly for our appearances because we dress differently and maybe don't get jazzed up for everything all the time. And um, those are very small surface level ways. But um, what does radical love look like that Jesus gave it to the point that he accepted his own death in seeking to lead people to a better, a new way of living, a way that welcomed the porn vulnerable welcome those who are exiled and on the outside and on the fringes to the point that he was publicly persecuted and um and shamed and humiliated for doing such things so what does that look like for us today to do that in our cultures in our communities in our neighborhoods to put ourselves in such vulnerable places knowing that we're coming with a heart of love um and even if that's at our own sacrifice in a modern day sense mm-hmm. you have anything, Jesse, to add to that? Okay. So, um... <laughs> I talk about it. She likes to live it out. So. <laughs> so, um, as far as, like, the explanation of Jesus uh, taking our sins um, from understanding, trying to understand what you're describing, it's like, he, you know, we sin and torture and crucifixion and he he took it on um but is you know sometimes you know i hear the concept of i've heard it referred to as like penal substitution Mm. type of death 
like um, there what I've heard it explained different ways. Um, for example, um, there's like the line of which in a wardrobe view where you know we um, have sinned um, like Edmund and now Satan the accuser has something on us you know mm. like he legitimately um, can uh, accuse us and that we don't deserve God's um, mercy and his love because we're lawbreakers now and um, that uh, Jesus died um, like he died in our place taking what we deserve um, so that uh, we could go free. So it's, I guess it's like a um, substitutionary type of thing. Mm-hmm. So like this, that um, view of um, like him taking on our sin, like that's a little bit of a different description. Does that uh, fit in your uh, thoughts about how you see uh, the Christian faith and so forth? The idea of like the sacrificial lamb so that, yeah, that no longer do they need to bring like a blood offering to the altar like the Jewish people did. Right, because there's... Because Christ is that lamb, that sacrifice for all, you know, prior and all after of humanity. Right. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's personally, I don't, um, I think that's not... That's not a language or a way that I often talk about, I guess, um, Christ dying on the cross for our sins. Um, I don't, yeah. But I, I think that's language that we hear like from Catholics. I can't yeah, speak for everyone, I guess. But. Okay. Does it, is it meaningful to you? Or like, uh, does it seem biblical to you? And if, if so, is it meaningful or does it not or does it kind of grate against you a little bit in some way? I guess speaking for myself, my inclination is to say I don't think that there was a requirement for God. And maybe, the, I mean, maybe I could, maybe there was. But I, my instinct is to say there, there isn't really a requirement that um, God needed to come down and kill his only son in order to save us um for the rest of eternity um i it makes i see how it played out that way and i would also say maybe it was inevitable that it would play out that way and that that's like the final covenant and promise that god made like god god knew i could see in thinking of the fullness of time that yeah that 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 was understood that this is what is going to happen when I send my only son down there um, to the earth and that this is going to be necessary for them to understand the fullness of my mercy and love for them and um, that they are not slave to their sins, but also that it's even more of a powerful message because um, people walked with Jesus and were able to walk and were able to record, you know, in a very personal way once again, Kind of like God used to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden, and then people once again were able to walk with God while Jesus was on earth. Um, and so seeing those um, comparisons, you know, is, is powerful. But um, for me, my fear is when um, people get, I guess, too caught up in that personal salvation um, message. 
um, I think it begins to ignore potentially others and thinking about um, that we're not just Christians for ourselves. Um, and so I guess that's my fear of focusing on that language too much. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, what I'm saying. But. It does. Um, <laughs> like, it seems to me like the idea of um, Jesus bearing our sins and, like, taking what we deserve. Mm. Like, the way, you know, I've been brought up in that. So the, 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 it seems like that fits with the Bible. Mm. But I see what you're saying about, like, um, Jesus saying, you know, if you follow me, take up your cross and just follow me, do what I mm. do, and trust yourself into God's hands um, and just take whatever the world gives you. Right. And you see that in the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount, right? And he's, you know, blessed are the poor and he's going through that and then he's like, blessed are, you know, you who are persecuted. And right. I think from the very beginning of his ministry, like he's, he knows and he's t trying to tell his disciples, like, if you follow me, it's going to lead me to my death and it's going to lead you to your death as well. Very, in a very physical way. Because a lot of times now, even we talk about like death to ego or death to our old selves, which I think is all a part of it. Like, but that also opened to that reality of like, for a lot of Christians, that also means the death of their physical being, like their, of their life in, in a literal way. Um, so, but yeah, by taking up of our, like that death I see being necessary to, because if because if, if Jesus didn't go all the way to death for the sake of loving us as humans, then no human could do that either, right? Or no human could follow in that footstep. Um, and so, I think that's what allows us to conquer our sins, or that we're no longer slave to our sins. And you know, Paul's saying that, but he's you know still a sinful man, and I think all of us probably have the own thing, our own things in our lives that we like have to be hyper aware of. Otherwise we fall back into those, like those sinful ways if we want to use that language. And so um, thinking about like, um, we're not slave to that, but yet we still have to always be on guard. Um, but ultimately that freedom is that we can overcome ourselves for others. Um, and, that we have that path laid out by Christ what to follow. Okay. So, I can right. really see, um, so the idea of Jesus taking on the sins of the community of the time, um, a lot of the, the our fall, our shortcomings even today are rooted in similar things that he took them on by showing us another way, um, which really a lot of our shortcomings are rooted in the three Ps, which I heard in a talk one time of power, profit and privilege and all the way up to the point of being killed on the cross jesus is giving us examples going against those cultural expectations that our whole life is mobilizing upwards in power profit and privilege and we continue to see jesus coming examples of being a servant like a full-on servant in this time the the people were looking for a leader to show up they were looking for a messiah and their perception of that would have been powerful like almost a militaristic style leader that would come and really take over and there was all kinds of uprisings at the times and so they were really hoping for a leader that would come and show that but instead they got someone rolling into town on a donkey instead of a giant horse they got a leader who in some of his last instances with his friends washed their feet the job of a servant and um 
And a leader who said, no, we're not going to keep this money in our pockets. We're going to put it in a common purse. We're going to share our wealth with each other. And we're going to make sure everyone is fed. And if anyone goes hungry, it's our fault. And I think that is a powerful way of taking on the burden and helping guide people away from a life of shortcomings and a life of separation and a life that's all about bettering up and moving beyond others and a life of bringing people together rather um, to the point that it fully gives of yourself. Yeah, and you have that pattern of salvation in the Bible, right? So you have humans um, that are, you know, given life creation and then they sin and then it leads them to destruction. And then they have, you know, they experience God's mercy that then creates new. And so you have, you know, Noah and Abraham and these different prophets. And, you know, in our class, we're learning, I have an Old Testament class now in the Diaca, and they're talking about that. There's always that faithful remnant that comes, that shows God's mercy and then leads them into a new creation. And so viewing that, you know, Christ fulfills that he's Christ is that last necessary faithful remnant um, that is needed for humans into you know eternity of, of displaying God's mercy and love and allowing us to create a new um, into everlasting life and so I see that pattern playing out throughout the Bible and it I think it makes complete sense as well um, and then also um, thinking about we're um, I don't know if you ever watched the Bible Project. Oh yeah, videos. I love the Bible Project. Yeah. They have that video on holiness, which I think is great too, where it talks about you know, in the Old Testament you had to make yourself clean before you could even approach you know where God is, um, but then in with Jesus you see Jesus going out and making others clean, um, those that were you know declared dirty, and then and so then thinking about that like you know the temple veil is torn after his death, and then now we are all called to go out as well and um and to make people holy and make people his disciples as opposed to like i need to be perfect before i can approach jesus um so anyways you know the bible project's interesting it is (laughs) it's real good um so i had kind of like a conversion experience and to just tell it to you briefly like i was brought up in church and went to church a lot and at a certain point i was young around nine I was afraid of going to hell, to hell because I heard about that, you know. And um, and then I um, tried to do things, like I got baptized. I um, would read those little tracts with Bible verses and pray the prayer at the end, inviting Jesus into my heart. And it was a frustrating time because I thought something should, my heart should change or something. And, um, and nothing happened. I thought if I could just believe enough or something. And then eventually I just kind of put that off off to the side and went on with my life and mm. and as I went throughout my teenage years I just stumbled into sin after you know whenever it came upon you know I just went right into it you know and it, I was just a hateful kid and stuff but um, that was still kind of in the back of my head that you know something attractive about Christianity because of some people who had positive influence mm-hmm. on me and then when I was around 18 just at a real low and depressing point of my life, um, I um, I just called out to God again. But this time it wasn't like, well, I'm afraid of going to hell. It's more like um, I've become this disgust, morally disgusting person and I need to be saved from who I am. And, um, and I was 
wasn't expecting anything, but it was just like a load of guilt was lifted from me. Hmm. And, um, and I just felt like physically lighter. I, I thought maybe, um, I was almost afraid to go to bed because I was afraid I'd go to bed and wake up like <laughs> me, you know. But um, it was a change, you know, an enduring type of change. And to me, it, um, you know, Jesus talked about being born again. And I know different people kind of understand that differently. Right? But there's other things like um, St. Paul talks about being made a new creation in Christ and stuff. So I think, you know, something happened like that then. It was like the beginning mm-hmm. of a, and then the Bible kind of became interesting to me. And it just like, um, anyway, that was the beginning for me in the, the Christian faith, really. So um, I know it's not like that for everyone else um, that I, I've talked to. But like, um, how did things get started for you guys as far as the Christian faith? Not just where it's like a family type of thing, but for, um, you know, when it became a personal, meaningful type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to start, Jesse? Sure. <laughs> um, so for me, I also had that nine-year-old um, conversion experience, but... Mine was not a fear of hell. Mine was just, I had a really great Sunday school teacher who just talked a lot about joy and the joy of the Gospels and the joy of following Jesus. And I remember, you know, talking about like, oh, I, you know, even if there was no heaven and hell, like I would follow Jesus just because it's joyful and it's enjoyable. And um, so I, I had that same experience, mine being a little bit different than yours, but I think I just grew from there. I don't think there was some great shift um, later on. Mine was more of a, a slow journey to understanding um, and connecting my faith with other parts of my life. Um, I grew up evangelical, and having my faith was not always um, directly connected with um, everything else in my life. Um, in some ways, yes, but in some in some ways, no. But um, meeting Jordan and uh, yeah, learning about the Catholic faith and um, the connection with social justice and faith, I think that was a, a time in my life. Um, yeah, in my twenties when I met Jordan, um, of of connecting those two things, and I think that has grown my faith more than anything. Understanding like what is happening around me, um, yeah, I need to bring that gospel message of radical love uh, to others. And I think growing up, the most important thing was, you know, saving souls or something like that. That idea was what my church preached. Um, And I think, yeah, being introduced to the Catholic faith and Catholic social teaching and um, being more involved in uh, real-life justice issues that are happening today um, was my more conversion that my faith really became not more my own because always, I've always loved Jesus and always had that the, like joy of Jesus. But I think understanding how to spread that joy of Jesus to others through more than just like, Pray this prayer at the end of this track. <laughs> like that idea that you shared. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. What? Want to share yours? Sure. Mine. Um, 
really similarly to Jesse's, uh, sorry, this bench is creaking. Um, similarly to Jesse, really beginning to see people connecting their faith to action um, for those who are, for people who are just not being taken care of by each other and for ourselves, how we lack care for ourselves in this world and what that does to our communities. Uh, so yeah, I was pretty um, despondent to organize faith and religion, seeing it mainly, actually, if anything, as exclusive, oftentimes even hateful of others, um, really not being a positive, productive thing in the world in many situations. While there's a lot of people doing great work as a call of their faith, I wasn't necessarily around them. And uh, I began going to a uh, a sister at my university started loading me and a few students up in her personal car on Friday mornings. And we she would drive us to a deportation center, which is a privatized jail facility um, where people are held before they're deported out of the country. It's literally a privately owned business that benefits off the suffering of other human beings. And it's a form of legal human trafficking. Um, and we went there and there was an interfaith gathering outside. And that was really cool because it was there that I saw people from all different... I mean, there was people who were Jewish, people who were Muslim, there was people who were Catholic and different denominations of Christian. And everyone was there, though, because they were trying to work for what they saw was a betterment of the world, was for loving our neighbors, no matter who they are. And that was a really positive experience for me, um, to see that faith in action right then and there. And then um, later that year, continuing kind of in that path, I was getting deeper in our, our social justice club at school, which is guided by the principles of the Sisters of Mercy, um, which are various things like um, hunger and women and different things like that. Um, I went on a service trip to our sister community, Nazareth Farm, and that's where I met young adults, Jordan and Jesse being two of them, really living out their faith in a positive, loving, welcoming way, um, and doing it a bit radical that also spoke to me. I was also growing really um, just angry, really, with consumerism, capitalism, and um, different layers of separation that our culture persists with. And so then I met this group of young adults that was cool because a lot of those I was meeting were older. Um, and that was really inspiring me and really brought me in through love, not through condemnation or not through um, fear or anything like that. But it was more so a message of abundance. And look, when we come to share together and we come live together to lift each other up and lift up our neighbors, those that we'll never even meet through our daily actions, look at how much more abundance we have to share within the love that God gives us and the love that God provides us all around us um, through the people in our world. Okay. And for me, I, um, I was baptized as a baby and went to Catholic schools my whole life. And, um, but it was probably around my, you know, 18 through 23 where I kind of, um, I didn't really identify as a Christian or a Catholic anymore. Like I didn't, I wasn't anti and I wasn't going out there saying like, oh, there's no God or whatever. But it just wasn't a motivating factor in my life. And particularly because a lot of, um, a lot of Christians that I saw in the news or heard about, um, and particularly thinking about our nation as a Christian nation, there's just a lot of injustices and um, harm and hurt that I saw, evils that were being, you know, 
enabled or put on by proclaimed Christians. And so I didn't want to be a part of that or identify as a part of that. Um, and then um, it was actually when I met Jess and she, um, she had maintained this love for Christ. And so it was, I was really curious about it. Um, and um, we started reading the gospels together and um, it was just kind of a long journey from there or even not that long together of just learning about what our faith means, but also like beginning to evaluate it in the context of the world around us. And so, um, yeah, I think that um, when you look at the life of Christ and you see how, um, you know, he, he says, I, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. And when you start seeing like how he really is breaking down the social norms of his time in the, in the, political and religious authority of his time, which were kind of one and the same. Um, and he was put to death for that, you know, for things like picking grain on the Sabbath or healing people on the Sabbath and um, eating with tax collectors and um, healing, um, you know, various people. And so there was just um, starting to think about like, well, what if, if that's the case in Jesus's relationship with authorities of his time, like how is it that Christians are in my experience so caught up in the authorities and the culture of our world and when it comes to consumerism and when it comes to um, the way that our um, nation uses its military might around the world for economic gain um, you know, September 11th happened when I was a junior year, and that was a big impact on me. And learning then later about the reasons that we go to war in Iraq and Afghanistan um, aren't as pure and are, you know, motivated by other, um, you know, motives. And so just that blurring of, of faith and, um, I guess, politics is, um, I think, harmful when you begin to act like they're one in the same um and so so yeah then realizing that through christ i could make powerful changes in my life um both you know just personal changes in the way that i live and then also setting up structures and how we live together to make it easier to do good and harder to do i guess evil but um yeah so through christ you can make powerful changes in your life. Mm -hmm. um, like, um, how um, can you give an example, or how do you make, um, how is Christianity more than like self help method, you know, like as far as making changes in your life? Or, or how does it work that through Christ you make these changes? Mm hmm. For me, it's just like what I was explaining earlier, like having the courage and really having that faith. So um, there's another priest, um, I'm blinking, the military chaplain. Father yeah, Father, Father Zabelka. He talks about, he was a uh, military chaplain in the Air Force when they dropped atomic bombs on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. And they were Irish Catholics that were pilots of those planes. And... He was a you know a Catholic priest who blessed them before they went on that mission, and then later in life he kind of had what he called a crisis of faith, and realizing that he either needed to accept what Jesus said, put down your sword, 
um, as uns- or love your enemy as silly or as impossible as it may seem, or he needed to not to, to deny him completely. And he realized that those bombs, he had Catholic priests blessing Catholic bombers, dropping a bomb that is indiscriminately killing everyone where there's even like a cathedral with it's like the headquarters of Catholicism in Nagasaki. And so just thinking about that is like, what are we doing to each other as humans, but also as Christians? Um, and so I think for me through Christ is like putting, having the courage, like believing in um, life beyond this world and believing that if I love my enemy um, that God will work through us in transforming our mindset and also of our enemy's mindset. Um, so then for us, like tangibly, like we um, just over this last year were housing an individual that we found that was homeless on the street. Um, and uh, we invited him into our home after talking to him and um, tried to help him out in, in various ways. And I think the only reason we were able to do that is because we had, a, one, set up a community of believers um, through the teachings of Christ that made it easier to be able to do that and to be able to live the way that we live. And two, we had the courage to do that because um, being motivated by the love of Christ as opposed to being motivated by fear of what may happen. Um, So you can do, I think we can accomplish greater, we can take greater risk in our lives through um, really um, taking on the teachings of Christ and and really that um, through prayer, but then also personal changes that can be made in... um, the things that you're trying to root out of your life. I think when you focus on prayer and inviting God into your life and making that a priority, setting our minds on things greater than ourselves, which is God and, and um, the world around us, allows you to make those changes. Um, but yeah, for me, it is with the self-help thing. Like for me, Christianity is not really about like self-help. I think oftentimes we make it into that, like our own personal personal salvation and even in the catholic church right like people go to church on sundays um and they say the prayers they need to say to save themselves is kind of like the attitude or i'm receiving the eucharist for my myself and that's certainly a component of it like we you know we have to live healthy lives um but i think greater than that is like we are we are living healthy lives so that we can fully give to others and we are recognizing God's love for us so that we can fully give that love to others. It's not kind of to hoard up for ourselves. Um, and so that's where I see that difference is, is like um, Pope John Paul II says, like the authenticity of the Eucharist when we receive communion is shown by the way that we love others outside of Mass. And I think he's kind of talking about that as well. Um, and so I think that's the power that Christ has to change our lives. Um, for me, it was a change from living in, um, yeah, just abundance and consumerism and um, a pretty wealthy life and saying, no, like, that is not the life I want to pursue. For me, a life of following Christ is much more fulfilling, much more joyful, but then also much more challenging. And it's going to take more sacrifice of like not making the most money I could make, not trying to, you know, 
um, do various self-preserving you know, actions in my life. Yeah. I was just going to speak to how you were talking about change and the difference between that being, yeah, like the self-help idea. Because um, Jordan and I met in an AmeriCorps program called the National Civilian Community Corps. And um, we were put on teams and we went and did different projects around the country. It's a team-based traveling program. And when we were doing that, it was really wonderful. Um, and we really enjoyed um, the team-based aspect and the going out and helping. But at the end of the day, there was, some, there was a piece missing. And so AmeriCorps being a government program, you can't talk about God and that can't be... I mean, it can be in your heart and your basis for why you're doing something, but um, that's not; those aren't spoken. And so at the end of the day, when you're trying to really come together as a team to make change for someone, there's no backbone to what you're doing. And so it's hard to, um, you know, it's like, we're just trying to do good. And that only takes you so far, and I think you easily get burned out burned doing that. Um, and so when we left that program, we we're like, wow, that was really great. Like I love traveling around and volunteering. But it was like, we need to do it for Christ. Like there needs to be a deeper reason. And I think, um, faith provides that deeper reason, provides a backbone for our community and how we can live together. I think we all know it's not easy to live with people. <laughs> and so it provides a backbone for that and also provides hope because there's very little hope mm-hmm. in the like let's do the right thing and hope everybody else does um, idea. Um, Christ provides that hope that we really need. Yeah, the foundation of, of knowing that there is a God that loves you abundantly and loves and blesses the world in abundance, like brings that hope and that and prevention of burnout. Like otherwise, you know, you see so many people that are railing up against injustices or trying to do so much. And if you don't have that, that hope or that foundation of such a loving God that is supporting us and not only is allowing us, but is actually like actively propelling us forward and propelling the work around us. And so, um, that's a big, that's a big help. Otherwise you, you could so easily be suffocated in what is wrong in the world and become hopeless and become, um, depressed in that work. So it's important. There's a, a few people that I talk with who don't even believe there's a reason to believe in the existence of God, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, so I, you know, I know, so sometimes we discuss like philosophical arguments for God and stuff like mm-hmm. this, or, um, just different things. Um, I, I, I think for me, it's not so much the philosophical arguments that really give me confidence and stuff, but, mm-hmm. You know, for you, um, is there anything in particular that gives you confidence that um, there is a God as we understand him in the Christian faith behind all of this and everything? Jesse, I don't know. Just the love that we experience for me is like all signs of. And so like the the most profound love I experience is from Jesse as, as a partner and as a wife. Um, through our kids, through the folks I live with, um, through the folks that we serve. Um, 
Yeah, and that's why I like that practice of, on Thursdays, sharing the ways that we experience God in our world. Because I think when you get in the habit of sharing what you're thankful for, um, you know, every day when we go to bed with our kids, I always ask them the question, what is one way that God showed you love today? And trying to cultivate that mindset of like, yeah, there, even though today might be the most difficult day I've ever had in a long time for all these reasons, surely there's one thing that, you know, was this glimmer of hope or this, um, you know, whether it be a person or whether it just be that there was a nice breeze today. Um, I think just um, cultivating that, um, that recognition of the, those are the ways that God loves us. Yeah. So for me, that's what gives, brings me kind of that assurance. Um, but yeah, I'm not too into like convincing or trying to, I always tell Jess, like my goal is just to people that say they're Catholics to um, engage fellow Catholics in conversation. So what does this mean? So we're Christians. So what does this mean in our lives? I, I'd much rather have those conversations rather than um, I'm not so into like trying to convince someone that there is a God. Um, although I do believe, and it's happened here, where like when people see you living life in a certain way, you know, um, there's an encyclical called Evangelii Nuntiandi written by Pope Paul VI, and it's on evangelism. And he says that what if you had a group of Christians that lived together and they lived in a way that um, expressed values and a vision of a world beyond themselves, and they lived and hoped and had joy in that vision and lived together, that then people will begin asking questions, well, why do they do this? Why do they act that way? What motivates them? And that is the initial stirrings of evangelism and then um, attracts people to you. And so for me, that's kind of my view when it comes to that, um, is just kind of cultivating the ways that I experience God, living in that and hoping that others are attracted by that. I think for me, uh, just even as you were talking, I was like, yeah, experiencing love, experiencing joy, experiencing hope, all of those things give me the confidence. But at the same time, and this is going to sound maybe terrible, but it, it almost like doesn't matter, you know? So what if at the end of this we find out there was no God? And, you know, like it was all made up or whatever. I experienced those things. And so, like, that that is the confidence to me, right? Like, the confidence to me is, like, it doesn't really matter. Like, I believe this. It gives me the hope. I have the faith in it and the joy and um, the different things. And so, if it, yeah, that... It, it is real because we've made it real and whether it is or not, like, I guess I don't need the confidence. I see because you benefit from it. So. Right. And like, I can, I can offer that to other people and they can, yeah, like we rise together. And then if it, I don't know, I guess I never really thought about needing the confidence that. I can kind of relate to that a little bit. Um, I mean, but then if we rise together and there's nothing true behind it, it seems like a tragedy to me. Mm-hmm. But I can see how in not knowing, that's the best thing to go for, even if there's just, I think there's good reason to believe. 
But even right. if there's just a glimmer of hope, there's nothing that compares. I'm just going to go for it and um, hope and pray that it's true. Right, know? yeah. It's hard for me to look back on my life and think that there's not, think a, that God. There's not a God or think <laughs> yeah. that there's, you know, just, yeah. But also, like, living in the mystery is beautiful, too. Yeah. Like, not having confidence or not. Well, I'm not saying I know all things about God or oh, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. you know, God has in store for us in mm-hmm. the future. And um, But I think what for me is neat is just like looking back in my, you know, if, if you were to look at my life and um, different trials or even just seeing how like, I don't know, I, I think um, just the other, <laughs> I just had a vision recently. I've been telling people and... I think some people think I'm crazy, but for me, it was very real. Um, we just started fostering uh, three new kids, um, and we kind of stumbled into that. Um, long, I'll save the, the long story for how we ended up into that. But, um, but yeah, it was really, Jesse was, has been very powerful and loving in the whole situation and an awesome mom. I, on the other hand, was kind of resistant um, and feeling really overwhelmed by all the work that we currently have going on and other things that are happening and um, kind of resentful of the situation in a lot of ways, even like um, just really conflicted of like, cause we, the reason we got into it was because we were pursuing what I was just talking about, like the, um, the courage and kind of acting out what we think Christians would do in the situation. One thing leads to another next thing we're fostering three kids. But, um, but yeah, I was, I was, really struggling with it. And then, um, one night, a few weeks ago, um, I had a very vivid dream and I don't dream really much at all. Um, and so it was shocking that I had this dream, but, um, there was an individual that I didn't recognize their face and that came to me. And in my dream, I was like, you know, really emotionally like stressed and like heavy, like physically feeling heavy um and then uh what happened is that individual said to me my peace be with you and when that those words were spoken this like cloud or this light was like lifted from me and i felt a lot lighter and i felt this complete peaceness in my dream and that is what woke me up at that point and i turned to jess and i said jess you need to wake up like wait wake up because I was still feeling that peace um and I said I told her what happened because I didn't want to forget the fine details um she had forgotten everything because she was was like three in the morning and she was asleep but um yeah it's kind of that piece has stuck with me and so I think it's moments like that like just miraculous moments and there's been like one other time where something like that's happened um but um things like that bring me an assurance that like there is a god God loves me so deeply and even is like reaching out to me in this case, a very dramatic way, in my opinion. Um, but also like every day there's small ways that I think God reaches out to us. So. You know, written in your house is like 20 C plus <laughs> M plus B plus or a 19 uh-huh. like, what does that stand for <laughs> um so that is a blessing that we do every year 
And the CMB uh, stands for Faith, Hope, and Love in Latin. Um, it's also the names of the three kings, Caspar, Malk, Malchor, and Balthazar, the three kings that um, visited Jesus. So we three do that, uh, three wise men. Um, we do that on the Epiphany. Um, we go around and do that blessing. And it's a blessing uh, that we do for each room. So we'll go into the living room and pray for all of the conversations that will happen in the room. We'll pray for all of the um, whatever meals shared around the table. We'll pray for all of the people who you know, will be in our Sweet. guest room and all of those different things. And then we bless each room. So, yeah. <laughs> At first, I thought it was like a construction symbol, like this beam goes here, this oh. beam goes there. <laughs> then I started thinking about it more. And it's yeah. an our other one, too. Mm-hmm. It's a fun epiphany activity, and the kids love it. And mm-hmm. it's a good way to set prayers or intentions for the year in mm-hmm. our household. So, yeah. mm-hmm. And it's the only time you get to write on the walls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Are there any um, other, I know we've talked about some just spiritual disciplines, we've talked about Mm -hmm. prayer. Um, Is there anything else in life that you do that helps you to make the most of each day or or anything like that? Um, Uh, So we moved here to Jerusalem Farm just over seven years ago and, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah just over seven years ago. And um, we try and have a community retreat twice a year. Sometimes it only, sometimes it's only once a year. But um, the first community retreat we went on was with a sister of St. Joseph, who's um, from here in Kansas City. We went to um, a monastery south of here. And I, I just really enjoyed the retreat. She led it really well. And um, she gave time that we could go and speak with her. And I did, I went and, you know, spent some time with her and she was like, you know, if you ever want to do this again, just let me know. And I was like, yeah. And so now she's been my spiritual director for seven years. And, um, I go, um, I was going to her once a month for an hour or something for like five years. And she goes, I, um, I just don't think we're getting far enough. It's just like, I'd really like you to come for a whole day. And I was thinking like, oh my gosh, what? <laughs> and so we started doing that. And it's um, now I have a silent day once a month. And so I go to her house because I can, she lives in a small, like elderly housing place. And um, she's like, I just love it. And I, I've offered it to, I was the first person she'd ever offered that to. And she's like, now I offer it to other people because I have this great quiet space that people can use and um yeah sometimes she'll give me different books that she's reading that she thinks I would enjoy sometimes we'll have a conversation to start the day or end the day sometimes we don't um but it has been something that's really really special for me and um yeah she makes a big deal when I miss it and I should too <laughs> that's been something that's so really spiritual great. director is kind of like a, a mentor a spiritual mentor then? Mm-hmm. Okay. yeah Someone to check in and hold you accountable in your prayer life and um, also to share wisdom or Mm -hmm. just someone to converse with about your faith. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I'm a big fan of just uh, for me. There's uh, Father Dan Berrigan says faith resides in your gut, and I kind of feel that way. And what I get from that is just like the the day to day interactions and the like, contemplation and action. So um, yeah, doing service, meeting homeowners. Um, yeah, I have different individuals that I interact with on a fairly regular basis that um, always. Uh, keep me contemplating life and you know and they're they're not people that are like me and so um just as i learn more about them and learn more about their struggles and um also i learn more about myself and um individuals that challenge me in various ways so um i think yeah that's all kind of what i i thrive off of of those um types of encounters with individuals that maybe at first glance seem like you don't want to approach but um so it's important for me you know we talk about the idea of proximity like so many people can live their whole life or go through their whole day and never encounter anyone that's in need um or in like that's poor um because we could live such like insulated and isolated lives um pretty easily and so for me living in this neighborhood and um live and doing the work that we do is, is essential for me to have uh, a strong um, spiritual faith life because um, yeah, it, it, it keeps me from being too comfortable in the way that I live and it constantly checks my attitudes and my um, ways that I approach life and approach others and um, you know I'll catch myself you know maybe judging someone for a certain way and then they blow my mind and they, you know, for whatever reason. And um, I think that's so important for me to constantly be in that interaction. Do you ever struggle with um, being taken advantage of um, and any kind of bitterness and stuff like that that might come from that? Or Con- Yeah, constantly. I mean, yeah, trust being broken or whatever, but that's why I was sharing that reflection earlier of the love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Like for me, I just, I, I say that constantly in my mind. And um, yeah, there's individuals that, um, I don't know if you ever saw the movie, uh, there's a movie called Silence. It's about these Jesuit priests that go to Japan. And um, in it, there's a character that's an alcoholic, but also like, he constantly turns in the Jap because the Catholics are being persecuted in Japan at that time and being tortured or whatever. And he constantly snitches to the Japanese government where the Catholics are. But then after people go through these awful, like being tortured because of that, then he goes to the priest and he asks for confession again and he apologizes. And in the movie, like you can see that he's like earnestly like feeling awful about it. And he's seeking, like, in all, like, truth, seeking God's forgiveness for that. But then, you know, a few scenes down the road, he does it again. And to me, like, that is, he's kind of like the symbol of an addict, or what I imagine an addict life to be like. Like, I've met so many people that, you know, stumble, and then they earnestly are, like, really trying to seek that change, but for whatever reason, they just can't do it, and they do it again. And they're, they're constantly reaching out for God's mercy. And um, so, for, yeah, so I try to also be mindful of that, of like in myself, like who am I to judge someone in that sense? And like 
like I have this call to always like, and I, I can get creative in ways that I, you know, and I, we learn and not to say that, you know, make yourself easy to be taken advantage of. That's not what I'm trying to say, but, um, but also realizing that the things that I'm being taken advantage of are material and I'm not lacking material goods right now. And so for me to, for, I would hate to turn someone away from who is honestly trying to seek to do better or in their life out of fear that they're going to take something from me. And that kind of goes back to those ideas of simplicity and stuff of um, people before things. And um, so that's my, that's my constant prayer. Not to say that I'm perfect. Like I obviously make first judgments and I'm skeptical of people when they say things. And but I, I'm, I'm constantly trying to pray to open my heart to receive people. Well, thanks for taking the time and just being able to ask you all these questions. And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think it's been really good. Something I'll look forward to re-listening to. So anyway, thank you guys. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. If you use a podcast app like iTunes, please give a review of Conversations About Life. Thank you.